this is, uh, you know, that negative thought you've been having, and uh, I just, uh, I just can't let you try and change yourself without a fight, so, uh, go ahead and just turn this show off, okay, and, um, uh, yeah, everything's still fine. This is Blindsight with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. Is there you? We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Okay. <clears throat> Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the podcast Blindsight, produced by the Audio Information Network of Colorado. We're glad to have you here and hope, and I know you'll enjoy this uh, session. I just want to remind everybody the Colorado Gift Day will be on December 6th, and it's an opportunity for you all to express your appreciation for this uh, broadcast, and we certainly hope that you'll consider contributing because it does get matched during the uh, Colorado Give Day. So I'm your host, Bill Lundgren, and I'm happy to introduce Michaela, Michaela sorry, uh, Finley, uh, who is a music therapist. And, and, you know, we'll have a chance to talk about uh, music therapy as a modality. And, uh, Michaela, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And I'm really um, excited that I was able to make this connection at the Aging at Altitude conference in Boulder. Michaela, before we, no, in, in starting, I think it's important for us to uh, kind of, take care of the misconceptions about uh, what music therapy is. I remember uh, in, in in fifth grade, and we had a music teacher, large, very large music teacher at an upright and trying to get 30 kids together, singing together. Uh, that would be what some people would think, oh, that's music therapy, but it's not. So if you would be so kind as to kind of give us a short, uh, understanding of what music therapy is for you as a professional. Absolutely. I think this is definitely a common thing that I hear when people ask what music therapy is. So to give a very simple definition, music therapy is using a, a credentialed music therapist using music as a tool um, to address non-musical goals with a client. And the client can be any person um, of any age, of any ability, and um, they can have any type of music interest as well. Good. Well, how do you use it? How do I use it? Well, primarily, um, I work with folks who have dementia-related diagnoses. I work in a memory care center. And so a lot of my uh, music therapy interventions are focused on goals related to the symptoms of dementia or the, the impacts on, you know, emotional, psychological, physical well-being from um, dementia-related diagnoses. So for me, a lot of times something that, just out of the gate 
is really impactful and uplifting is um, sing-alongs, familiar music, music that they have listened to and enjoyed um, kind of in their prime a lot of times is what they is is what is the most vivid in their memory. Um, and so that's one thing that like a favorite song, like a favorite song from the past. Right. Um, and something that they heard during a period of their life, you know, maybe they were in high school, maybe they were a young adult and they have significant memories attached. They can remember when the song was on the radio and when they hear it, it takes them back to a time in their lives, you know, and that kind of brings me into some of the other pieces of what music therapy can look like for this population. Um, a lot of times sing-alongs, you know, are seen as recreational music and, and they are, and recreational music can be very therapeutic particularly when client-preferred music is used. Um, but there are so many other pieces to to what that therapeutic process looks like. A couple examples of other interventions are um, song discussion and lyric analysis. So an example of that is we, that can be group or individual, but, you know, I'll choose a song from somewhere between the 40s and the 60s, and I'll play it and we'll sing it. Maybe I'll pass out percussion instruments so they're participating in active music making. And then afterwards, we'll kind of pick apart and dissect the lyrics a little bit and have a conversation about what that means to us, um, what it reminds us of, um, elements of, you know, sensory uh, phrases in the song, things that help us to connect with it more. So song discussion and lyric analysis. And songwriting is another big one as a group. Mm. Um, sometimes we pick a topic and then we kind of brainstorm details. For example, a topic could be something that has a lot of memories attached to it, like um, Thanksgiving as a kid. And so then we'll go around the room and talk about traditions that we remember that our family had or types of food that were our favorite and um, work together as a team to construct phrases from prose into more, you know, poetic structure and then set it to music. I, I set up a lot of decisions for them, like, you know, what should this sound like? Um, should we go up or down here? Should it be fast or slow? What's the general mood? Um, and that's a really great social and emotional um, intervention. So that was a long-winded answer to your question, but there's just the really the the short of it is there's just so many ways <laughs> that music can be used as a tool um, for for all populations, but for dementia care um, in particular. Is there any uh, particular memory of you have that you have in doing what you've been doing, where you've seen you know a real breakthrough for a particular person? Like I said. Let's say someone with dementia who has very little memory uh, of anything who, through this process, is kind of is having some insight and able to share with you and the group. Sure. Yeah. Um, it happens a lot, actually. I think one of our, like, 
crutches. <laughs> that has sort of a negative connotation, doesn't it? But one of our one one thing we really <laughs> lean on a lot in our programming is reminiscing and tools for reminiscing because it's not that everything is gone. It's just that some pieces are and it takes more to access what is there. And so mm. um we rely on those reminiscing conversations a lot, but then also sensory tools. Um, one example I have for songwriting, I was, I was working with a small group of older adults with dementia and we started with this conversation about this bottle of lotion that had a really nice light scent to it. And so we, I passed it around the room and they all sniffed it and they told me what it reminded them of. And so this is, this is kind of part of that sensory piece I was mentioning earlier. Um, but it's not just singing and it's not just the sound of a familiar song. It can also be a smell and you can um, mm -hmm. bring that into, you can bring the impact of that into a music intervention and explore it more and take advantage of it. So I had one resident tell me that it reminded him of his wife when they went to senior prom, which is a really specific detail that he just right. suddenly remembered because he smelled this lotion. And so then we, you know, had all of these different things that you know different flowers and different memories and prom with my wife and all these memories on our whiteboard and we turned them into a song and we were all singing it together to kind of finish up the intervention and he was really tearful but but when he left he said that he really appreciated what we did together and that you know being in this facility you know, a lot of autonomy is taken away and there's a lot of things that he wouldn't normally try. And songwriting is one of them. But he said that it really made him feel good and it meant a lot to him. Um, so that's just one example um, of a way that... It must have meant a lot to you. It did it very much a mean a lot to me. Um, it's yeah. really special to have that experience wherein... You know, I have certain knowledge and certain experience that carries me to this point, but nothing is better than than those interactions that I have with those residents. It's like, you know, it's kind of that thing that makes you feel this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, why did you get into this field? How did you get into this field? Are you uh, Do you play a particular instrument? Yeah, that's a great question. Two great questions. Um, <laughs> music has been a big part of my life ever since I was in the womb, frankly. Uh, my mother, she's got a beautiful <laughs> singing voice, and she would sing to me when she was pregnant. Um, and my dad is a percussionist, and I know our family's connected a lot. Um, musically, just being able to talk about music and being able to participate in music together um, in their church community. And then really, I actually, for a long time, I didn't think that music would be part of my profession. I thought that it was a hobby and an interest that I, and a passion that I felt very strongly about, but I had no idea 
um, the degree to which I could kind of harness those skills and, and help people. Um, so I first went to college. I, I pursued a psychology, a bachelor's in psychology degree. And I was thinking a little bit about arts in therapy. And the reason I thought about that is because I took an art class and it was the first time that I didn't, a first semester, I didn't take music. At the very end of high school, I took an art class and I made a variety of art projects that were very therapeutic for me. The process of creating mm -hmm. them helped me to work through different experiences that I had had and to build, you know, this muscle of self-awareness and I realized, you know, that there's there's more to this this creativity piece. There's more to this producing and experiencing art piece that isn't just about the the product, it's about the process. And so I heard about art therapy first. So when I was pursuing my psych degree, I hoped I would be able to learn more about art therapy. And in the process of researching art therapy, I learned also about music therapy. So that's kind of the connection there. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know that even existed. Um, I read about it through Colorado State University's website up in Fort Collins because they're the only university in Colorado that offers a music therapy bachelor's degree. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I read about it through their website and it was pretty much everything I was looking for. It was, a music degree, you take classes in music theory and performance, and you take the lessons with a professional. Um, and at that point, I had experience singing, um, playing guitar and ukulele, and then in, in band, I had played the tuba and the flute the most. And so I had dabbled in a lot of areas, but not specialized in one. So I was actually most nervous about the music part of the degree because you had to audition um, to be able to pursue oh. a music therapy degree. You had to audition and get into the school of music. So that was a really cool journey. Um, just pushing myself to lean into those areas more. Um, and once I started my classes, I really had such a variety of experiences in not only music, but psychology courses, physiology courses, um, a couple of music therapy methods courses related to neuroscience and neurologic music therapy. I got to take neuroanatomy. Um, it was pretty amazing. A really amazing combination of things. It sounds amazing because you were touching so many different fields in one uh, academic pursuit. Absolutely. And, and psychology uh, can be a little boring. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> to be perfectly honest, having gone through all that, uh, but <clears throat> to be able to uh, bring it into something that you love doing. And uh, what is your primary instrument, your voice, or the, uh, or the guitar, ukulele, or or just all, any kind of instrument you can get your hands on? <laughs> I would say that it's voice right now, voice and guitar. 
when I began my degree, I was very nervous because I didn't feel that I had a primary instrument because I just, I tried a lot of new things, but I didn't pull, pour myself into one. Um, Mm-hmm. So I don't share this very often, but um, when I first pursued my music therapy degree, I took lessons on the tuba because I really love that instrument. And I just thought mm-hmm. voice was like a cop out, which is so silly, <laughs> but that's how I felt. So <laughs> I auditioned on the tuba yeah. and I actually did not get in. And that was really devastating for me. But I was on my own mental health journey, and I knew that I wanted this, and it meant a lot to me. So um, I then started training classical voice um, with a grad student, and I auditioned a couple semesters later um, for the vocal studio, and I did get in. And so I was able to take voice lessons for two years um, with a professional there. And that was just, it really helped me to connect with singing as a very valuable and um, valid (laughs) primary instrument. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things I've I've heard, uh, and I don't know how true it is, but for someone, for example, with a, uh, has a stroke. Yes. And loses their ability to talk, teaching them to sing then lead to them being able to talk again. Is that, you know, have I heard that right? It can. Yes, there are several music therapy interventions that are used um, in traumatic brain injury situations or with someone who has had a stroke to basically retrain the brain um, and you know, it's rehabilitation, but it's also training the brain to compensate for what has been lost. Um, mm. So singing is, it's many things. It's its motor, um, it's breath related, it's speech related. But the thing about singing itself is that it's processed in a different area of the brain. And so a lot uh-huh. of times mm-hmm. when um, language processing areas are damaged um somebody can can really struggle to speak or not speak at all or have some type of aphasia but they can sing they can sing fluent sentences on the same that they could before the damage happened and so um the music therapy interventions really take advantage of that And a lot of the practices are um, rhythmic and and tonal in nature. So kind of training the voice, (laughs) the singing voice, Mm -hmm. um, and slowly transferring that and transitioning over to um, speech-like you know, prose-like phrases um, and, and conversation, and that's a process of rehabilitation. Wow. But then you take somebody like me who can't sing, period, and people <laughs> sort of move away from me. I guess I'd be in trouble if I had a 
uh, had trouble speaking because that would not be a real option for me. Well, <laughs> I would say it's not. You remember what I said? It's not about the product; it's about the process. So I would argue oh, it's okay. about if you enjoy singing, it doesn't have to sound good to anybody else. Um, it's not about you know being a performer or being you know somebody right. who enjoys mm-hmm. singing in front of other people. It's just about accessing different parts of your brain and different abilities that you have. So I can tell my neighbors that so they can just back off. Absolutely. If they want, uh, yes. No more singing. <laughs> <laughs> tell them I am accessing different parts of my brain and it's about the process. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. I should, I should, uh, remember that uh, and write it down so I can show it to him. Uh, so how does this, uh, just, not just in terms of dementia, but how can music therapy be used with other kinds of situations? For example, you know, we're, uh, we, we talk about people who are blind, and which means, number one, it's that I know some of my classmates when I was in training school for the blind, were able to find Braille music, but not everybody can do that. This is true. I think people in general, as a general rule, engage with music in very different ways. And that is something that I've learned just from conversations and music therapy sessions with people. Um, and so that, that variance um, exists also in populations that are low vision or are blind. Um, so for some people accessing, you know, braille music, accessing print music in that way is a really useful tool. And I would argue for others, um, it's okay if it isn't, or if they are unable to access music that way, because that music is vibration. And so there's this tactile piece. It doesn't have to be something that you're feeling and reading you know, with your hands, but it can be a tactile experience. Mm-hmm. So in, in general, what you're talking about is uh, making, I know that singing can make people happy, period. Sure. And if we have access to being able or the freedom to be able to sing, that certainly releases a lot of that, uh, the endorphins in our, in our body. So yeah. that just just by feeling okay about singing or feeling, or as you say, having uh, someone with dementia access the singing, uh, as, your, as your example did, uh, can make a big difference emotionally. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's a huge emotional component to music, and I'm sure everybody who enjoys music could say that um, for themselves. You know, it, it's ranging. It's everywhere from this song is upbeat and it's making me feel upbeat and happy to this song is familiar and familiarity is comfortable. It's predictable. That's something that's comforting or brings me a feeling of safety. And yeah, like you mentioned, just participating in music making or active listening is something that 100% is used for mood modulation. 
all the time. <laughs> and we can, in fact, do that for ourselves without a music therapist. But I would say um, it's really interesting to read about the research where even a music yeah. therapist kind of puts together recorded and live music specifically for mood modulation as the goal. Um, it, it, it's something that I think I could probably use more in my own life, <laughs> that knowledge. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, are you thinking now in terms of, you know, uh, outside of the, of the office, so to speak, to, uh, uh, or is there another instrument that you do just for recreation? Because, you know, everything that the things that you like, you're, you're working with. And sometimes we have to take a break and just enjoy whatever, you know, whatever our passion is. Yeah. So do you get a chance to, to perform or to, uh, uh, use the talents that you have? The tuba including. Yeah. <laughs> um, great question. I have a couple um things to share in response. So um I'm in a community ensemble. I play the tuba in the Northern Colorado concert band. And so no kidding. um once a week I get to go and participate in those rehearsals and we do, you know, concerts together and I get to go to tuba Christmas <laughs> sometimes, which is <laughs> a massive event with hundreds of tubas playing Christmas carols. It's pretty obnoxious in the best way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where does that, where does that occur? There are a few. Um, there's one in Fort Collins. There's one in Denver, a very big event in Denver. Um, and there may also be a smaller Longmont one as well. Um, yeah. So that's one thing. That sounds like fun. I do it for like myself. Fun. Absolutely. It is. Mm -hmm. And I always say this, and I kind of feel this way about even singing and playing guitar on my own time as well for recreation, that when I first think about going to rehearsal or, you know, making time for myself to practice or play for fun at home, I have a little sense of resistance. Um, and it might be because I associate that with work, you know, with being productive hey, and right. with um, sure. that, More of the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, but I will say every time that I follow through, I remember why, you know, music was my first love and it's always uplifting. I can go with the most foul mood into a music experience. And by the end, um, I may not be euphoric, but that's not always the goal. You know, I just feel more grounded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel more alive and I feel more myself. Do you work with some of your uh, people at the memory uh, place where you work mm -hmm. with instruments? In other words, to give some musical instrument to those who might have some capability of, uh, of uh, at least utilizing it. I know some people do uh, sacred drumming, uh, but I wonder if that you include that in, in your particular program. So we have a lot of small auxiliary percussion instruments, and I use those a lot because they're easy to pass out. They're really easy for a lot of different people to use. Um, our primary one right now is Jingle Bells. Um, they have these Jingle Bells that are like on a Velcro strap. And so 
and it's easy for them to hold on to it or you can wrap it around their wrist and all they have to do is move their arm. You can wrap it around an ankle and they can, you know, step their foot and participate. Um, we have maracas, we have tambourines, we have triangles. Um, I'm working on building a collection of drums right now, hand drums. Um, cause I'm the, mm. I'm the activity director here. So I don't get to always do music therapy, but I do everything I can to bring music therapy into our community right. because mm-hmm. it's so valuable. So, um, we're slowly building our instrument collection. We have a piano in our activity room and quite a few residents have played the piano and really like to share that with the other residents or just play for themselves um, as well. It sounds like it's a noisy place to work. (laughs) It depends, but I would say, yeah, most of the time (laughs) we really, we like to have parties. So we're just, I think Mm -hmm. loud and proud is what they call it. Oh, there you go. There you go. But the, the, the major thing is helping people, particularly someone with dementia, uh, you know, they can almost give up and it just, it just slide into and reinforce that dementia and think, well, I'm of no use anymore, you know, from a psychological standpoint. Yeah. And to be able to find those mm-hmm. skills again. And those memories, again, must be, have a tremendous impact. I completely agree. Um, there are so many things to mention on this note, um, and I'll just say a few. But I think a lot of times, as I had mentioned before, when folks move into a secured facility, they lose a lot of autonomy. They lose a lot of their right. social connection. Um, and a lot of times they'll have the tendency to experience agitation or to self-isolate. And that just perpetuates that cycle and has a really huge impact, not only on their mental health, but their physical health as well. Um, and so participating in group music activities is a huge community builder. It's a, it creates this sense of, you know, closeness, connection. Um, and neighborly, you know, and it's also very, um, invigorating. It's something that creates a lot of moments where people are more alert than I see them outside of musical experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've seen so many situations, which really just is the reason I do what I do, where people don't, you know, they are participating in that self-isolation and as their routine, it's habitual. They eat their meals and then they go back to bed. Um, and some of them, they come to a music activity and there's a lot of intentional engagement and interaction with other residents and singing and playing instruments. And they hear some of their favorite songs and you know what, the next day they might not fully remember what happened but they come back and, and I've seen a lot of people come out of their shell. And I just think that structure that facilitates so many of those things that contribute to well-being is extremely valuable in this setting. And, and since they are uh, accessing a different part of the brain, it may be a brain that's a part of the brain that's less impaired than uh, other parts. 
And so they're yes. utilizing what they have rather yeah. than, you know, what they don't have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think the same thing for, for blindness, for people who are, who, uh, experience a, a late onset of blindness, like macular, you get that feeling of giving up because anything's going to be a lot more work. But if they access, mm. if they love music before and can find a way around it, around the, uh, not being able to read sheet music as you suggested, uh, then that can be, again, another sense of developing hope, which is uh, the thing that we all need. I completely agree with that. And I think it's something probably everybody, you know, generalized to everyone right. can, can take something away from that and find ways to, um, you know, explore themselves a little bit. It's definitely vulnerable, mm -hmm. right? It's vulnerable to put yourself out there. Um, especially right. in a community. And maybe not have it, you know, and fail for the moment or at least struggle. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm hmm And none of us want it want to struggle. We want to be able to do it right away. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But what we're talking about then in terms of, of music therapy is really, uh, you know, it's bringing hope. It's uh, helping people to access those parts of the brain that they, you know, maybe don't know that they can access and uh, develop them and to get that, that sense of joy back. Yeah. Which they may have lost. Yeah. It's definitely That's awakening. And then maybe, maybe they're more likely to experience joy, you know, in other situations as well. You know, that's one huge benefit of mood modulation. Right. right. Um, so how long has music therapy been around? <laughs> um, a long time. I think that music as medicine, you know, as a concept, yeah. has been that's around right. um, for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, really. Um, even before you know, they learned more about modern medicine, or maybe even especially before <laughs> we've learned more about modern mm -hmm. medicine. And now the two are, of course, starting to come together in the profession of music therapy. But, you know, you think about, like you were talking about drumming, um, you think about different cultures using different instruments, using different rituals and singing. You think about um, bedside music at the end of life, you think about um, hymns, Gregorian chants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, right. All of these things are are tied to an experience, individual or group, um, that has some sort of goal. And music is the tool that they're using towards that goal. And I guess even the cavemen started by uh, beating sticks on a rock or something to, to make music. So... It's been around a long time. It's just finding different ways that it can really be productive for people, which is the part of what music therapy is. Yes. Um, I'll throw this out there. The history is extremely interesting. And um, the American Music Therapy Association, their website, um, I believe it's musictherapy.org, 
they have so much um, information and education on what music therapy is and what, um, you know, how it's come to be and where it came from. And so I can share a couple more resources if you wanted to post them, but I'll just say that it's definitely worth, you know, learning more about where it came from and where it is now and kind of what, what the profession is moving towards as well. That's terrific. I appreciate that. I appreciate having you on and and to explain music therapy and uh, and how valuable it can be rather than something like I like I remember in uh, in the fifth grade. I never would have appreciated it. Uh, but uh, thank you for being on, and uh, I hope that we can keep in touch uh, and. So this is uh, Blindside and Phil Lundgren, and uh, we're we're signing off for another session of Blindside. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.